Welcome, welcome. It's Amina's House Podcast, episode 154. Hello, hello, Amina, say what? I'm Shayna B. Garnet Briscoe, a.k.a. Sherlock Homeboy. Dexter Stuckey, a.k.a. Dex the One. Oh, we said the full government today. <laughs> uh, welcome, guys. We have a guest joining the podcast today. We have director and producer Vikram Gandhi. He is responsible for the uh, documentary, the uh, Sakashi 69 documentary called The Saga of Danny Hernandez on Hulu. So um, I am very, very interested to talk, talk to this man. So he'll be joining the podcast a little later. I'm really excited about that. But since we are on a tight schedule, let's get right into what's been going on in our feed. So weekend, nom- weekend nominations, Grammy nominations came out. Um, the weekend was not nominated. That's why I said the weekend first, but weekend's not nominated, but, um, there's a lot of funny business going on with the Grammys every year when the nominations come out, we're like, what is this? A lot of people are always missing. Some people are nominated and you're like, why? No disrespect to any artists, but there, sometimes I feel like there's more deserving artists. Uh, for example, the fact that the weekend's doing the Super Bowl. And he literally did not get not one Grammy nomination, especially when he dropped after hours and, you know, um, the music's been played everywhere. So that's something that has stood out to me. But in some positive news, Beyonce is leading the Grammys with nine nominations. Congratulations to her. Uh, Megan has three. Roddy Rich has six. Now, some of the snubs that I have seen are um, Little Baby. Um, now, let me say this. I feel like. Little Baby is nominated in certain, you know, the bigger picture as a song is nominated. But when you start looking at like best album, you know, uh, song uh, of the year, record of the year, that's when I start feeling like people are snubbed. You know, it's hard sometimes to say people are snubbed because there's so many categories. Like I'll give you an example. In the best R&B album category, Janae Aiko is not there. When I think about R&B in 2020, I mean, Janae is at the top of my head. You know, so the fact that her album wasn't nominated in the best R&B uh, category and Aunt Clemens is. Um, oh, hold on, hold on. Wait, hold on. wait a minute. Wait, I, shade Aunt. I know oh, Aunt. that's my boy. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm not shading anybody. I'm just saying, I'm, you know, and uh, uh, Giveon. I mean, I, you know, I was on an R&B station. We ain't play no Giveon. I'm sorry. <laughs> Luke James, uh, John Legend, uh, Gregory Pastor. That's just the best R&B album. The best rap album. D Smoke, Freddie Gibbs, J Electronica, Nas, um, Royce the Five Nine. Where's Roddy Rich? Where's little baby? You know, we can literally go through every category and be like, where's this person? Where's that person? So what are your overall thoughts about this? I know Dexter has thoughts, so I'm going to let him go. I just, you know, like overall, like I, I, I understand what the snubs and stuff, but I think that depends like on who you like as an artist and everything. Because like, I think you'll go all day long with saying like, this person should have been nominated or this person should have been nominated. I do think that my issue overall are the people that are complaining about the nominations because a couple of years ago, Jay-Z said Grammys don't matter. And everybody jumped on that train that said Grammys don't matter. Now, all of a sudden, they're writing think pieces on social media. They're sharing shady memes and whatnot. And it's just like this award. I mean, prestigious as it is, like your behavior is not very prestigious. I, I'm almost embarrassed by some of these artists and the way they've 
decided to conduct themselves. The one who really like makes me want to jump out of the, the window right now is Justin Bieber. Like you actually were nominated and you're upset because you weren't nominated in the R&B category that you wanted to be nominated in. Like, come on. But, then there are people who are saying like, Nikki, yeah, like he did this whole thing about like just throw the privilege into the mix at this point. Then there are people who are like saying like Nicki Minaj didn't get a, a Grammy nomination when she had this hit album. And then Nicki jumps out of retirement and starts to tweet about it. And it's just like, why are we doing this? Wait a minute. Nicki isn't in retirement. Don't be shading Nicki Minaj on this. Now, did she not say she was retiring? She did say that. But she dropped a song with what's his name? Like She still said she was retired. OK, but These she are her words, not mine. She said it. First of all, every time people say retire, they retire for like two months and then okay. they come back. <laughs> but I mean, like, well, fine. She jumped out of motherhood to talk about this Grammy stuff. Like her stuff was 10 years old. Nicki, like. Like, do you really care that much? Like, it just, yes. seems, yeah. it just seems to me like it was one of those things, like people were dogging it out and it was like, I'm a dog it out too. And it's like, you got, come on guys, like, especially when Nick, you're better than this at this point. Well, the thing about it is, it, I guess it's just the conversation of this has always been the, the this is always how people have felt in the culture. The fact that Nas has never won a Grammy, Nas. Now they finally nominated him in the best rap, you know, album category, and maybe he'll win his first one. <laughs> but then people it's will just, say, people say, how did Nas beat X Y Z? Like it, they're never going to be said. He's not winning a. Now I'm not saying Nas should win, but you know he's not. Like that is is like when they gave Denzel the Oscar for Training Day. Like Denzel definitely is an Oscar worthy actor. But, you know, but they're not going to do that with Nas. Like, oh, we're going to give it to him this year because... I believe he's going to get it. I'm going to put that positive energy out there. Because he's my baby daddy in my head, he should get it. But he should have been got it. Right. And he should get it over everybody else nominated? Well... Inequality. She definitely said... The part that got me was... um, that you know, she that she was larger than any female rapper in the last decade that went on to inspire a generation. And she added, they gave it to the white man, Bonnie, Bonnie Vere, Bonnie Vere girl. I you talking mm. Bonnie Vere. <laughs> you said I, <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely feel how kind of Dex feel though. Where it's like, when did when did we start caring about the Grammys again? Like, when was this like a cool thing to really start caring about again? Um, I thought we established that we use like they usually get it wrong a lot of the time for the things that we would like. Um, nobody still wants to appreciate the BT awards. Like <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to show love to the people that's like trying and like they're at least they're trying. They know for sure they are they're gonna nominate, you know, I believe the right people little baby but um you know they you know they're just i feel like what the grammys is is more so about your network that's the corporate part of the industry the like real corporate part where you know if you don't have the right relationships and you know push the campaign that you know you really deserve it you probably won't be in on it well i i agree you know this has been a conversation first of all it's something that everybody complains about every year so um there's really no surprise but it's just more so like how much more complaining do people got to do for y'all to get it right like or maybe just like i don't like and it all and it 
there's like a dog chasing his tail around. Like, like that question right there is it like blows my mind. Like, if you know a person is never gonna get it right, like that's like staying in a relationship with a man who's never going to get it right. He's never gonna do anything right, but you're just going to stick around and continue to complain about it. You know, every single year for your birthday, this man is not gonna get you anything. First you of all, oh my god. A gift? Why? But because the the Grammys is not one man. The Grammys is made up of a body of people that that nominate they these songs. And right, but they get it wrong because they're all for the most part part of one specific demographic, which is they're largely white, you know? So it's like there's been a lot of conversations. You know what? I'm gonna have Chill Moody come on the podcast. Cause there's been a lot. Chill Moody is from Philadelphia. He uh, represents the Grammys in Philly. Or even uh, uh, Deanna Williams, who's been working with the Grammys. So because there's always been a call for diversity in the Grammys. And that's the thing. We keep calling for diversity and then y'all keep nominating these people. Like, do you that don't you know some of the I'm not trying to listen. I never want to take away from someone's art and say that you don't deserve a nomination. But some other people are more deserving of these nominations. Now, they actually address the weekend situation. And they said that there's a lot of people that, you know, submit and they have to make a choice and there's only a certain amount of nominations they can make. Really? <laughs> that That's your excuse. So the weekend's pissed. Did you see his tweet, his Instagram post? He said, and I quote in big, in big, bold letters, the Grammys remain corrupt. You owe me, my fans, and the industry transparency. So that's really what the call is about, Dex. That's the fact stupid. is, like, how that, how much more do we have to act for there to be? How much more do we have to ask for there to be diversity in a board? And I know we keep saying the Grammys don't matter, but that's because we're trying to make it not matter because it's never been for us. But the reality of the situation is, it's still a prestigious award. Whether we're, whether we're winning Oscars or Tonys, maybe we're not winning them. It doesn't take away from the prestige of these awards. And our artists deserve the prestige just as much as other people. I think it goes back to what you just said. Like, you can't take away from somebody else's art. It, it's almost insulting to me to read, like, one of my favorite artists post something like that. Like, the Grammys, you're wrong because you did this, that, and the third. Like, I'm looking at that. If I'm, like, Beyonce or something like that who has eight nominations, if I'm looking at that and I'm Beyonce, I'm like, was she a nine? Yeah, nine. Nine nominations. No album this year. So if I'm Beyonce and wait I'm a minute, Black is King is an album. You are hating on all our queens, Dex. Black is, King, Black is King came out this year or just the, the Disney special? No, it came out this year. The soundtrack. Did it or was it the movie? We can the Google movie. That. The movie came out and then the mo the the movie. We should uh, Google that. So, so there were additions. So so what Dex is saying is this: there were some of those songs from Black is King. Is on the movie soundtrack, yes. But then there were like additions, but most of the songs were on the look, soundtrack. But I, I, I know that. Yeah. Look, I, look, I like Beyonce, but I'm just saying, if I'm somebody like Beyonce, whose album Black is King came out in 2019, um, I'm looking at it and I'm like, the it gift. didn't. The gift, the gift. I'm talking the about the gift, the gift, the gift came oh. out in 2019, and the gift is comprised of most of the songs that are on. Black right, but Black is King is different. Black is King is an interpret interpretation yeah. of The Lion King. Yeah. It's not the same album. 
Look, some of the songs it, are the same. It came out. Some of the songs are the same. It came out July thirty first, twenty twenty. No, but I got both. Should we some go to the songs track? are exactly the same? So let's. We can go to the track list, and I think we'll see some similarities. But look, but that's not the point, though. But that's like saying someone's just because the song was on someone's mixtape, they can't put it on their album. If it's ten songs, you probably should. <laughs> no, it's not that song. You be a shady, Dex. But go ahead. I'm gonna let you live. Go ahead. But like. <laughs> What I, what I am saying, though, is that like there are like exactly what you just said, Mina, is that like you can't you can't dis- disregard somebody else's talent. Like the weekend, you are super talented and you know that you're talented. But like, why would you take away somebody else? Like Megan Thee Stallion is nominated and stuff like that, and, and Beyonce and all these people. Like, why would you say the Grammys are rigged and they're wrong and they suck when these people who we do love and respect are also nominated? You know what I mean? Like, like let's give them their shine this year and let's go back to the to the lab and work even harder next year to show them, look, we deserve to be here now. We're here now. Like, but you I, wanted him to say in that, re- with respect to the other artists well, just don't say that like, I just feel like that disrespects the other artists when you when you go on a rant like that and I want to say this too man big shout out to my boy Aunt Clemens <laughs> no, <laughs> seriously. No, seriously because he, he he is from Pensacola like mm-hmm. I actually know him like I remember him, like actually like no nah, I mean it's fine let's I, I'm just saying I want to give him his props because I see his grind I seen him, you know, catching a bus, working at Red Lobster to him, you know, wanting to move to L.A. And within the last, you know, two to two to three years, this has happened. I just think that's a beautiful blessing, especially coming from Jersey and coming from where we come from. Listen, Aunt, as a fellow New Jerseyan, I in no way just meant to <laughs> single you out. I was just saying there is a list of people under the best R&B category and people that actually have R&B songs that are played on the radio (laughs) are not in this category. No. And I'm just saying like, you know, something needs to happen. You know, I'm not saying this specifically just, and I'm saying in general, like, how are you the music's biggest night and the measure of all the big songs? And there's literally like Janae is nowhere present in the best R&B category. And they, and then they made some other R&B category. Did y'all see that? I think they should make more categories. No, I, I, I was going to say that. Do, you, I, I didn't do y'all think that. that Kanye is happy, though, about his category that he's nominated? <laughs> <laughs> he's probably not that happy. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Wait, well, what category is he nominated? He is nominated in Best Contemporary Christian Music Album. Right. So he probably feels like he is not Christian music. He should be in the gospel right. category. So he'll probably have something to say, too. We'll probably see that in a day or two. He well, probably that- don't even want to be put in a box. He don't want to. Be- <laughs> no, because remember his thing was this was a gospel. Yeah. Album, like so he probably thinks that's something to say. Well, like Janae's nominating the best progressive R and B album. Yeah, so, that was. I was like, what is this category? Right, and so is Chloe and Halle. Yeah, you got to know what that means. So maybe, quote unquote, maybe that's the upper echelon uh, group of albums that you were looking for. Maybe. No, it doesn't make sense when you look at the other nominees in the category. Like, it, it just doesn't. It it doesn't fit to me. I think what it is is it's supposed to be like Kehlani and um, 
Tiana Taylor and Janae Aiko and Chloe and Halle, people who are really like the younger end of the R&B that don't really have that soulful, like very soulful vibe that R&B songs have. I mean, even me just being an R&B station, that was even like uh, a struggle with us. Like you have Lettucey and then you have Janae. And they're both equally R&B. So how do you even but you can't even put them in the same category. So I understand um, the breakdown of it. But like, you know, when you look at the best R&B category, it's like Luke James, John Legend, Gregory Pastor. So they're, you know, Aunt Clemens um, and Giveon. I don't even I, I'm sorry. I don't I don't know who Giveon is, but um, but it's like I think that's the breakdown, you know. But when you listen to R&B stations, you're hearing Janae. And the weekend, and Chris Brown, you know, and Lettucey, and Tony Braxton, and Tamar Braxton. So that's where it, really where the confusion comes. You know, we're ranting. <laughs> I, we talk about this every year. I mean, year. I, you can find at least three podcasts where we're having the same exact conversation of who was snubbed, you know, and who, why is this like this? So. We'll we'll get one of the Grammy people on and see if they've actually increased their diversity um, and then maybe have a little bit more um, uh, facts to our yeah. ranting so we understand what's going on behind the scenes. OK, moving on. Uh, let's talk about Netflix. So this is an interesting story. Netflix has taken the Chappelle show off. Um, they had put on, I think, six seasons. Uh, of the Chappelle show. And I was literally finishing up watching Gossip Girl just so I can hop on this and do the Chappelle and watch the Chappelle show. But they took it off because apparently Dave isn't getting paid from this. So back in the day when he was doing the Chappelle show and this happens to artists, this happens to comedians, a lot of people who are creators, they sign these contracts and we always say, read your contract, get a lawyer. But they sign these contracts where they're literally signing away their rights. And... um Apparently, he doesn't have the right for a sh the show to be licensed, you know. So when you create a show, you create a show for a network. That network can then put language in the contract where it says they can redistribute whatever you create for them at a later date. Uh, and then they always put in and I hate this term. I wish I had to take it out of my contracts. Any future mediums, right? Any current or future mediums of distribution, Right. So I'm sure when Dave signed this contract, he didn't think Netflix was going to come around. So he was like, oh, whatever. I'm going to sign it without negotiating. No, if you license my stuff that I create for you to in any future mediums, this is my percentage or this is my cut. So he's not getting paid. He called Netflix. He said he's not getting paid. He's really upset about this. And they took the whole thing off the platform. How yeah. amazing is that? Yeah, if you saw like when he did the Saturday like live special, what was that like three weeks ago? He addressed it then, and then I read exactly what he said. Like I called them; they're great partners. They've been working with Dave Chappelle for how many years now? How many specials has he done with them? So they wanted to rock with with him and on the side of him. Right. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. Like just just to have that power power and that relationship with Netflix for them to be able to do that, I I think that's incredible. Yeah. And it really shows the kind of business people they are and really how um, professional they are. You know, they have a relationship with Dave and for Dave to be like, this makes me feel uncomfortable. They weren't like, oh, well, too bad. 
right. you know how some companies are like, suck it up. This is the job you get paid to do this. No, they were like, no, we consider your feelings and understand this makes you uncomfortable. And we're going to pull it off of the network. People don't even do business like that any- anymore. <laughs> People don't even care anymore. No. So- uh, oh. Go ahead, Garnett. No, I was going to say, I really think, um, I thought what they did was a magnificent job. I right. It was like on a human level, you know, to see a corporation move like that and to really do, you know, show, show compassion to the artist's feelings uh, because that's something he, he created his whole self from that show like that sparked a lot of stuff he put in a lot of hard work and hard you know years into that and to not get paid because he did not finish out the contract uh and that's something he also talked about but he just feels as though you know this is his fight back is by you know just speaking out loud he's not expecting to get paid because they they technically owe him a lot of a lot of money and they're still collecting and I thought it was really, um, it was interesting because it showed kind of how spiteful they were. Uh, he said the moment that he announced he was going to do the Saturday Night Live with the election, um, the next day they announced that, you know, his show is now streaming. And, you know, that's they, petty. <laughs> that's not petty. <laughs> and, right. And, and, you know, they know he's not right. getting paid, you know, but everybody else may not know. Now we do, but. They know, you know, that's a little war. It was like, hey, you want to do that? Well, I want up you and make more money off you now. Look at that. And right. you know, to, to have Netflix look at it and be like, you know, I'll, I'll be the better of the evils and, you know, just try to work with you, Dave, and, you know, make it happen. So I thought that was awesome. Yeah, definitely. Now, joining us uh, to the podcast, I want to welcome Vikram Gandhi. He is a director, producer. He's also done a little acting. He's also the guy behind the saga of Danny Hernandez on Hulu. Welcome, Vikram. How are you? Woo! (laughs) I'm good. Thank you for that welcome. Can you hear me okay? Yes, you sound perfect. Thank you for joining us. Definitely. Obviously, I'm Mina. How are you? We've never met, but now we're, you know, virtually meeting. <laughs> I'm Shayna B. Garnett Briscoe, a.k.a. Sherlock Homeboy. <laughs> Dexter. <laughs> oh, that's it? Dexter usually has a very long intro. <laughs> I want to go Dexter Stucky, a.k.a. The One. <laughs> so, Vikram, your last name is Gandhi. That's like a... That's a, like a big name, a big name to have, you know. Um, I mean, is there, there's not any relation there, right? Like, you know, it's a lot to live up to, right? <laughs> you know, it's only downhill for me with that name. <laughs> <laughs> Depends who's asking, but <laughs> no relation is that. <laughs> uh, so, Vikram, uh, we've watched the documentary, uh, the saga saga of Danny Garcia's, um, excuse me, Danny Hernandez. I'm thinking about the boxer, Danny Garcia's, um, <laughs> Danny Hernandez. So we know him as Takashi six, nine, uh, just an incredible piece of work that you put together. I just want to start off by saying that, I mean, how long have you been working on this? You know, I think it's hard to tell sometimes when it's just a seed of an idea and when um, I started making the film, but I would say my first interviews were, um, you know, just over a year ago, uh, probably like right around the time when he was about to 
that we was testifying against his kidnappers. Um, I went to that trial and oh, really got got you know started really getting going. So you're a journalist primarily. So did that spark your interest in Takashi Six Nine? Because me and us, we know him on the music side. You know, we just know the him from the music. But as a journalist, is that what drew you to his story? Well, you know, I'm a I'm a hip hop fan, but I wasn't a fan of his. I kind of discovered him and a whole bunch of other face tattooed people around the same time. <laughs> <laughs> my my hip hop radar just stopped looking out for all this new stuff. And but I was just trying to understand the whole movement because it's such a departure from what you know most a lot of a lot of us have probably grown up as understanding what hip hop is. It just felt like so different. Um, yeah, but I think I would say that when I really discovered him and when I started thinking about a film, we're quite close together. Like, you know, I think just my mentality is if I see something interesting that makes me think about it and lean in, that it might be a good movie. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of where I came from. Like, and pretty quickly, I was like, this is a really interesting story. This has so many elements of things that I, I like doing as a crime element, as a hip hop element, as a New York element. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't come as a fan. I came as an interested person uh, trying to trying to tell a story. So oh. I, I wondered. Um, so he's not actually in the documentary at all. So on the business side, like, how do you even release something to a, a platform like Hulu? That's a big, a big platform without him even being on board. Well, he's a public figure. Um, we didn't know if he was going to get out of prison. You know, when we started, it just it wasn't unclear. I mean, I talked to a lot of different people and they would say, oh, yeah, he's going to get out in five years. He's going to get out in two years. Some people thought he was going to get out in December last year. Uh, so I I had that interest. I, I thought, um, well, maybe we'll, we'll start it. Maybe he'll come out. Maybe we'll get an interview. Or maybe he'll go to prison. And this will just be a story that everyone wants to know because... They won't be able to hear it from him. I didn't really know, but the truth is he was a public figure that has definitely had a huge impact on the music industry and on hip hop. Uh, he's become a taboo subject. So I didn't really need anyone's permission to make a film. I would say that's a question that somebody asked me in the first scene of the movie. You see some people aggressively trying to get me off the street and someone goes, who told you you could make this? Right. <laughs> You know, one of the things you just said is that when you find something that you, that you're interested in, you you just go for it. And I remember learning about you when you did Barry, which is a, another film that I'm really interested in. It was a great film. When I started watching this one, my very first reaction, I was like, I'm very disturbed. And I was disturbed from two things. One, when they were telling you to get off the street, like you can't be here. I'm like, they're gonna kill him. Like he can't. Right. It's scary. The second thing is. I know Takashi as like, I know the antics and all that stuff like that. I didn't know all this extra stuff. Like I didn't know, when you showed the part when you were like, you know, one of the first videos he came out with, he was trying to get attention. There was a guy with a with a needle hanging out of his arm. I was like, I, I literally paused it and I took some notes and I was like, this is gonna be a lot. But the more I watched it, the more I just became fascinated with it. And I remember you were saying like, I'm, I'm fascinated with him. And I'm like, why, I don't get it. And then like Mina was saying, like at, you realize at the end, 
he didn't speak in this at all. Like he, he had nothing to do with this at all. And I was so fascinated by this documentary in that part when you were like writing to him, like, Hey, can you talk? Can I talk to you? Can we have a conversation? And he wasn't like, responding. Pass. Like, I was like, Wait a second. He really didn't have anything to do with this at all. So oh. like, my question to you is like, what's next for you in regards to him? If, if anything, Yo, if he wants to do an interview, I'm down, you know, you know, that, that uh, request for an interview still holds. Yeah. Um, you make a film on somebody, you know, I, I was, I was wondering how is this conversation going to go? You know, I'm talking to a 22, a 24 year old kid and I'm going and Hey man, while you're in prison, I just made this movie about you. <laughs> it's going to be a pretty awkward conversation. I imagine. Uh, so I wanted to meet him. Um, you know, putting that much time into it. And I also wanted to get him to say uh, things in his own words, but we just never, we never knew if he was going to be in it or not. So I just made the movie with that consideration. And there's so much that he lived in public. He lived his life on the internet. He lived it for the internet. So it's all out there, plus public records, plus court documents, plus leaked audio, plus this, that, and the other, you know, it's just all out there. And, um, yeah, we, we, we knew that this, I mean, one of the things about the, the time we live in where there's so much information, you could keep reading about Takashi 69 and read five different versions of the same story, you know? So a lot of what we were doing was just finding the reality of what was going down and what was really happening. So I would say a lot of the, the stuff that's in the film is out in the, out in the world already. It just hadn't really been put together. And the people who he was referring to hadn't gotten a chance to put like a real human, face to the, you know, to the characters that were described in articles. I agree. I, I was going to say one of the things that you said when you started off just now is, you know, you weren't really a fan of his. And I've never just really been into him and not known him other than the antics that come across the Shade Room or one of the other blogs. But I really got to know him so well through this documentary, the way that you told, you know, his story. And again, without hearing his words, it did make me, I know in one of the parts, you know, when you talked to his birth father, you talked about the empathy. I actually felt very sad for him after watching this. Like, I think I just walked away feeling di very different than the person that I was just used to doing, seeing something doing wild and crazy on the internet. I, I kind of almost feel like a little sad, a little empathetic for him, you know, in this situation that he's now gotten himself into. Yeah, I did too. I mean, I, I think anytime you f you find a character who is looking for attention like that, looking for fame and has that both level of ambition, but desperation, you can't help feel sorry, you know, like at a certain point you wonder is, is all there is to really go on right now, especially after you got out of prison and he doesn't have too many friends and the hip hop world is out at him. What's the point of being a rock star? Mm-hmm hang out with other rock stars and you're stigmatized. So part of me just wonders, you know, maybe all you got is the numbers left. Yeah. When the album sales flop, like what's there? So yeah, I mean, I got a lot, a lot of empathy. I think when you make a film about somebody, anybody you're interviewing, if you don't approach it with a level of empathy, you know, you can't get through it. You got, you want to see both sides of someone. So that's how I approached it. Now, so, um, after watching this, and you know, I, I always was interested in him too, not necessarily his music, but for the same reason, you know, kid, wild hair, tattoos, he has my attention. Um, after watching the film, I know, you know, you exposed a lot. 
But you also got to see, like you said, the human side, but also what I see is also like a, a, a brilliant side of him as well, just as much as it is, it may be crazy. So I wanted to see like, uh, you know, after, you know, gathering all that information, how would you like label that as like a person? Is that like a, a crazy mind or is it genius? Because I mean, you did have to make a movie about him at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think so much of what I liked about the story when I started it was, you know, I, I, I went to the bodega that he worked at like a lot, you know, I'd been on that, I've been in there. I don't know if I met him, like, probably missed him by a year or whatever um but but you, you just know that like people overlook the person behind the counter and it's like this kid made it clear that he came from very low resources he architected his own fame had tons of ambition and when you're talking about somebody like that who comes from that position he's an underdog and i immediately kind of admire that and relate to it and want to see his side of it um because it is like there is an american dream story that's in a lot of hip-hop right rags to riches stories of of making it um so that's who i was interested in trying to discover because i feel like that's you know that's the person who created takashi 69 when i think about the person and also to find out that he he found out that he had fans in Slovakia and he said, fuck it, I'm going to Slovakia. Right. Um, yeah, that was crazy. That blew my mind. You know, um, I think in general, I just, uh, I, I feel more empathetic for him. And I think he really humanized him in a way. And uh, some people might not even see it that way, but I think in telling his story, I think you really humanize a lot of the antics that we saw because for I think he's considered probably like kind of like um, a bad guy in hip hop. Now he's like a villain. You know, I mean, he told on people and he's out, you know, um, people just don't want him to win. So at this point, he is a villain. I think you really added a human element to hit this villain character and you kind of managed to separate what he was when he began his journey versus what he's become. Now there's a theme that is really very prevalent in the documentary, which is there, there was a clear distinction between, between Danny Hernandez and it's crazy that I, I even, I can't, I don't even know who Danny Hernandez is prior to this. It's even hard for me to put those names together. I just want to say Takashi 69, but there's a clear difference between Danny Hernandez and Takashi 69. Was that always how you wanted to approach this documentary or was it more so when you started to do the interviews, you started to see that these were two people that somehow became one at, at some point? You know, I approached it, look, when I looked at him for the first time on the internet and he was talking about being in the bloods and being a gangster, like that's the first time I saw him and I was like, this guy is absolutely not real. There's nothing real about him. I was like, this is just a character that he's created on the internet. I mean, maybe I came from that perspective because my first feature length film, I impersonated a character. Like that's that was my introduction to being and making full length films. Um, so I had a, some idea that this was some kind of like he was putting on a big prank or a hoax or a show. And I think there is an element to that, like going being as outlandish as possible. But he says in an interview that, you know, he almost in this inspi inspirational way that like we all can invent the world that we are. We can invent who we are. And he wanted to invent himself as a villain. 
because he said heroes never heroes die, villains never die. And he actually says this in a very coherent way in interviews. Um, so when I went in, I was like, this guy invented a persona online and then he became that persona. And I always looked at it like this, like Takashi 69 devoured Danny Hernandez. Like he created a monster and then the monster consumed him. And that's not so dissimilar from a lot of stories in music and a lot of stories in business and a lot of people who make it, they get consumed in their own fame, fortune and ambition. So that's how I kind of see it. Um, everyone I talked to, most of them had the same reaction. He was a humble, smart, creative, ambitious kid who had a lot of ideas, who often seemed to inspire other people to do big things, went into a whole group of people that he met in, in Bed-Stuy, you know, uh, met the Bloods and they were inspired and excited about making videos. Like he was kind of like inspiring a lot of people, uh, but you know, I think I think this toxic character he had, Takashi Six Nine, just like took over, and that's what I, that's what I felt like going into it, and it's kind of what I found out, you know, uh, that kind of confirmed a lot of those those suspicions that I had while while entering the story. Yeah, I I, I often like just kind of joked around and compared him to like he's like the young rap like version of like the Joker, <laughs> literally just like that, like when he's he's going all out full tilt. And yeah, like you said, like he wants to be the the villain because he 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 gets a lot of energy from that. That's what I got from you know the film. Totally, yeah. I mean, I think the Joker is the Joker is a you know one of the first things I thought of when you just even look at him. I mean, he's yeah. you know, called after a Joker. His faces, you know, and the Joker is extreme and knows no bounds. Like that dude's crazy. And I think this Takashi character he's creating was equally crazy. And um, but at the end of the day, you know, you you can create that, but can you live in it? You know, you can't. You, you, one day you're gonna have to be Danny again, or one day you're gonna have to be. <laughs> you got to reckon with that stuff that you start with. You know, you can't you can't have the facade your whole life. I think. I think anyway. You know. Yeah, I know. At one point, when you were talking to the driver, I think his name was Jorge, and you talked about you know just his journey and everything he went through, and I was confused too. Like, is he not scared? Like, is he not scared to be telling the story right Yes! Now? Like, driving and, around. Like, I was scared for him. And, and he's I'm like, I'm just, just a driver. I'm just a driver. <laughs> but he's telling all the secrets. Like, <laughs> like, what is going on? Like, did you encounter, and I know you had to, you know, just a lot of people that were just like, I can't touch this. I don't want to be a part of this. Not necessarily because of what they think Danny or Takashi is going to think, but just their overall fear of, everything that has evolved in his life at this point. Did you find a lot of that as you encountered different people? Everybody who we talked to was, was had mixed emotions about be, about talking to him, you know? Oh. Hairstylist, she was down. Uh, <laughs> but um, but pretty much everyone just had, they, they, they recognized that there were two sides of him. And I think that the growing confusion around the stigma of being of talking about him and being related to him. That's also something that was in the back of everyone's mind. Like, do I want to have myself associated with this person? So, yeah, but as far as I think the driver, Jorge, um, you know, he, he testified in court. So anybody who was trying to figure out who the informant, <laughs> they, they, they were following the story. Like actually Jorge was somebody that you could access online. You know, I hit him up on Facebook 
Like, That's what I'm just saying. I want him to be in like hiding. I feel like I got. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of just at a moment when I got, I connected with him. I was like, you know, the next day he was like, you know, friend request. And I was like, okay, this man's out there. He's, 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 and, um, and I, the, re the reason I mentioned the trial is that, you know, his story is not one, it's not like Danny's. It's, it's like, it's one of somebody sort of stumbling in and accidentally becoming part of this crime. Like, you know, you ask him who's in the car. He's like, I don't know. There was like a lot of different guys. Like, what about this guy? He's like, sort of, he wasn't there. You know, it's kind of like he was just sort of a confused dude who was stumbled into being the accomplice in all these crimes. And at a certain point, you get that window into what happens if you're, you know, with immigration taken to the ICE facility. Yeah. He was, held, I mean, he, when he told me that he was held there for 40 days, mm -hmm. Takashi was on tour. I mean, that was just a crazy window into this person who kind of had no choice. So the reason I say that is that I feel like he was, he was okay with speaking and was interested in telling a story because the people knew like who he was, they knew his story and they knew he wasn't the guy who, if it was, you know, he was just a pawn in, in the government's way to get to, to get to Takashi and to get to the gang. Um, if they didn't take, if he, if they didn't use him, they probably would have gone somewhere else. I mean, um, so that's my take on it. And, um, you know, obviously we, we're not revealing where he is and all that other stuff. So, but he says that, you know, he, he's picked him up as a driver, people in the affiliated he's picked up and then he was nervous. We drove some place that a lot of them hung out and, you know, I saw him, you know, shiver mm. as, as we passed by the stoop mm -hmm. like, area where some of the, some of the guys in the gang hung out, he, he was scared. Um, but it may have just triggered all the reactions. So anyway, yeah. Uh, but, but I think he's going to be safe. And I think that, uh, you know, it, yeah, he's like, a, you could say he's a snitch. He's an informant, but I think, Honestly, like, is that who anybody really wanted, wants to get take down? It's not him. He put his life first. Like, he put his life and his well-being first, which I, I didn't have an issue with that. I actually want his cash up. I want to send him some money. I felt so bad for him the entire time. Um, I was actually going to ask you, and you kind of answered this question, too. Like, did you think the people who you were talking to were being truthful and honest? And, you like, you really just answered that based on what you just said. And I'm really curious now, just based on some of like your own interactions with the people that he that were on, like, you know, the new Takashi and also with the, how the, some of them reacted to you. How did you protect yourself like mentally while you were making this? Well, I think that, you know, that is that's a good question, how to protect myself mentally. I mean, I think my my team and I were like, well, this is like a roller coaster. I mean, I've been in. I've been in a lot of intense situations filming over the years, like in different countries. And there was no real part of this process where I felt like I was in danger. Um, I felt like uh, it was almost like a sort of mental, spiritual danger, just the darkness of his story, the kind of um, things that you're hearing about, you know, from domestic abuse to, um, you know, to this, to the sex, to the sex tape that was made uh, with the underage girl, to just the way the treatment, the treatment he had of people around him, and the violence that came out of nowhere. I mean, talking about violence for absolutely no reason. He's young too, like very young. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of like it. Just sort of it. Just sort of rang of all of the things that are 
kind of wrong with with so much of what comes out of the culture that's created on social media too. Sort of like the dangling of money, the flaunting of guns, the 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 being tough but actually not being tough. You know, yeah. Um, yeah and I, so I think that like it was a little bit of a journey into kind of like the darker side and seedier side of of New York and the, you know, sort of a seedy side of just the con- human conscience. Like why, what the fuck is, I mean, I, I was just thinking like, why do we elevate these people? This kid is so popular and his story is so dark and disturbing. And it's not, you know, it's, it's just, it's sort of shocking how much attention someone like that can give. And it's not like he was hiding his crimes. Um, I feel like we sh- it's it's kind of amazing how appalled everyone is uh, after he informed on the government, but not after he after a hit was put out on Chief Keith. Can you imagine yeah. if he somebody shot Chief Keith? Yeah. Can you imagine if he was killed? Like, I mean, that's that's something that we that it was a playtime for everyone. I think watching that like this isn't real; it's just fiction, you know. But there was some real shit happening. I don't know if they were really going to hit him shoot him or if it was just a, a, a publicity stunt but i mean it definitely people's lives were in danger absolutely you know, you know i i think about that all the time i mean even watching the versus battle and how people were really reveling in gucci man really saying the things that he was saying to young jeezy and i i really just had a moment like this is real like people die from these problems and and uh you know, these are real beefs. And for some reason on the Internet, it's like a big joke, you know. But if you're like if you're really a street person and you grew up in in the streets, you know, these things are in jokes. You know, it, it just really it for me, I'm always in awe of why people are drawn to that, you know. But this is why we're drawn to your documentary, too, because it kind of explores that in a way where why, why do we like to watch these things? Yeah, I think you picked it up at one point. You know, you're like, why Why are kids drawn to this guy putting the needle in his arm? Like, wh- and these numbers are just going up. It's like, people just want to see bizarre things. Is that really what you found from just even analyzing his life? Well, I think that we're all kind of complicit in it because it's not like, I mean, when I think about the hip hop that I fell in love with, I mean, there's a lot of violence, a lot of shit in it, you know, that, um, but I think that, you know, at least now looking back, I justify it as almost like understanding culture and getting, a you know, and also compare the the violence and hip hop that I grew up with that I love as kind of being like watching Goodfellas or, you know, but there is just, uh, there's just this buffer that used to occur. You know, I think like, there's a level of realizing, oh, there is a character here, you know, and, and you know, the debate around is Ice Cube really a gangster? Is is Biggie really a gangster? Tupac, you know, the story of Tupac has a lot of similarities to an art, a kid who was an artist who got into something that he wasn't prepared for in the street life. But now there's no buffer. Um, there's no buffer. Like you're on the Internet. There's not, you know, you if somebody recorded beef on their album, it came out, the album is pressed. It's like, I did a disc, you know, I wrote this, right. produced the song, it came out. Now it's getting numbers, it's playing on the radio, the other person hears it. It's like a lot, a long process. Right. 
She's like, I'm just going to pick up my phone and start beef. And, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe 90% of the people are like, this is all a game. It's all good. But there's definitely people who don't feel that way. Right. And you, and you spoke about his influence. He was, he was influencing gang members. He influenced women. Like there were a lot of people that were influenced by him and you getting on your cell phone and having it recorded and posted to the internet saying, but you're putting a $30,000 hit out on somebody, maybe someone who you don't know, they probably won't do anything, but random people on the street who are influenced by you, they could do it. And it, and it just, the internet just remains like a gift and a curse, like a gift because you were able to get the driver really quickly on Facebook. <laughs> But a curse because he uploads stuff like this. It's just, I, I'm I'm just really impressed with the work that you did. I really I set up on Saturday and I watched this documentary. Yep. When it was over, I, I paused it a bunch of times because like I was like, okay, like, yeah. I yeah. <laughs> but I just kept I, I finished it and I'm just like, this is amazing. Like this, it was really amazing work. And I really loved I forgot her name, but the the older woman who said that like he would sit with her during Thanksgiving and, and stuff like that. Like in oh, the train my grandmama. Yeah, and when she was just like her disappointment in him and how he changed and everything, like that was like it was so raw and it was so real. Like I could tell that she truly cared for him. Yeah, she didn't. She didn't know what pie pie was. Okay, I was confused was. by that statement. Like, well, how are you working a bodega and he didn't know what pie was? First of all, in Spanish, when we do Thanksgiving in the Spanish household, we don't normally have pie. You don't but pie, but pie is an American thing. Like <laughs> you don't, you don't go, you don't go to Puerto Rico or Mexico, and they're like, you want some pie? Like no, they're like, you want some rice and beans? You want some pork? You know, you want some flan? So I, you know, again, I, it, it's the culture. You right. know, um, it's you know, pie is an American thing. Period. She was still pissed that he didn't know right. That. She was upset. <laughs> she never had no sweet potato pie, no pumpkin pie. <laughs> I think she was upset because he said on trial that their home was the center, the headquarters of the Bloods in, in Bed-Stuy. And, um, you know, I, I went in there, I hung out with people. I mean, she she's a correct she's a former correctional officer. Um, either you either you suspect something is going on in there or you have a different understanding of what it means to be affiliated. Like, um, you know, and, and I don't know, I, I don't know what's true, but I, I when I got there, I, I met I met the woman who owned the house and mm-hmm. uh, she didn't fit. She did not feel like the, the leader of a, a criminal organization to me. She felt like someone who was who was open her home to her kids, her grandkids, their friends and some lost souls like Takashi. And, and I think that's another thing that stuck out to me in this. Like you got the human side and the different phases and sides of Takashi, but like every single person that was interviewed, I saw a side of them too. Like you don't know these people, you just hear stories about them. You, I think you gave personality to each and every one of those people. Like after watching it, I'm like, I got to donate to Horace Cash App. I want to pray for this woman. Like I just, I'm just amazed with the work that you did. And I really think you humanized this entire situation. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I just, you know, I, I did a project with Killer Mike in Atlanta called Trigger Warning. And we innovate, they create this um, soda company called Cola with some guys in the Crips. And Love it that. was just like this moment of, of getting a window into, you know, the lives of people. These guys were trying to be businessmen and have, you know, and, and, 
get out of illegal things and get into into legal stuff. And I kind of approached this in a similar way of like, I know that the internet also feeds into those stigmas, but you know, I just think that at the end of the day, like everyone's just a person. So you got to show that other side. It's too easy to see a bunch of people of color in their, their mug shots, like, you know, and they're Saudi, these are the gang members, look how scary they are. So I think it was kind of a responsibility to, to make sure that we saw the personality of people in there who would let us get access to it, you know? So that was important to us. I wonder, so a lot of the people that you talk to are people that have somehow been done wrong by him, you know? Um, was it hard to find people that were actually his friends? And do you do you wonder if maybe this shows the one side? Maybe, is there another side? Maybe from people that actually consider him currently a friend? Well, you know, his engineer is in there and he is still engineering his music and um, you know, really told us that he's a good person deep inside. And he really didn't know much about the, the activity. You know, he's just making music with them. So he's seen this other side of them. You know, hairdresser was, she was there in the beginning, but she was also there when they were doing shoots in like LA. And so she had her own connection. Um, and then like, even, you know, th there's people like, you know, we talked Punch, who's a DJ Punch is in it. And as much as he was, able to see the dark side. He also spoke pretty like excitedly and happy about like his time with him. Like he went back and forth. Like he, so I think you see people have that love hate thing with him. Um, and I think also the guys in Slovakia, I mean, they, they, they don't even know anything about what is going on. They, they met Shadi, they met other people. They're just like, this dude is just interesting, exciting. So I think there was a lot of voices of that. I just feel that, some of the ones, perhaps some of the people who were had a negative side, it's hard to it's hard to to miss somebody like a driver going, he's trash, you know, uh, that 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 was a raw, real feeling. And I'm, I'm not and I would have to say it's not like that's how people did it. Like that came out after a long conversation to say something that extreme. It wasn't just he was like, oh, I hate this guy. You know, they did. They did also. They're all sort of fascinated by him and had good experiences too. Mm. Um, it's just rare to hear people did <laughs> to, to be so negative on a, in a documentary. But I think it was true to what how they really feel. You know. Mm. So you got to understand that for some people, like right now, hindsight's twenty twenty. But when we're making it, it's not as if anybody knew what was going to happen. Right. This guy's going to be back on top. He's going to be the number one artist. Maybe I should stay friends with him. Right. You know, that the point. a lot of that. Feeling, we know what he knew. Uh, I mean, what if he came out of prison and he was like, I'm going to tell you what really happened and I'm going to own up. Maybe he wouldn't have had a top single, but maybe he would have had a career afterwards. I don't know. Um, uh, but that didn't happen. So right now, like, how could anybody have... Uh, have been supporting him, but you know, I think there was a time where people didn't really know what to do, what to think, you know? Are you, uh, question, so I know you spoke about, uh, I guess like, um, you know, just like putting message within your, you know, your films. Um, like what kind of message do you want out there with your filmmaking without you just having to say anything, just the representation that you want to put out there? for people to watch and people to get 
like in this film like what what do i want people to take oh yeah just as far as just like filmmaking in general so like as far as like what what do you want people to get from your work um i think that i think that the 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 recurrent you know i think i i don't really i haven't really set out with this mission statement or anything but when i look back at my films and the tv projects i've done and also even the journalism i've done at vice for a long time um it's really i think the common thread you know in my films is like looking to understand identity like i start off this film saying like i want to understand who the people really are you know underneath the surface layer and i think all three of my films my first one kumari barry and this are kind of a search for understanding what identity is in people and sometimes that has to do with race culture place in the world um, in America, and sometimes it's just about like what's at the core of people. So I think that's that's sort of something that's in it. But I think that as far as what people should take away, I just think um, I, I make I'm trying to make films that make people rethink the way they see the world a bit. My first film was about religion. My second f- film was about you know the icon of, of Barack Obama and as a kid, like what he experienced, which I thought was just a very sort of um, introspective understanding of trying to understand who he was. And, you know, even my this, the show Trigger Warning is all about rethinking the way we think about all different parts of our culture, especially race in America. So that's, I think, really like the recurring theme is just, and in here, it just kind of happened with this film. I mean, if one of the most interesting things is to see the reactions on Twitter, on yes. Facebook, or is like, how dare Hulu do this? I'm going to cancel my subscription. I can't believe they fucking did this. And it's funny that everybody comes with so many preconceived notions. This isn't to say anyone's right or wrong, but I, I think it is just like, okay, now we saw the pixelated version of who this person is. We saw the, we saw the, 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 the memes, but like, what does it make to be a person? It's like, it's a lot of dimensions in it. You know, he can be brilliant and a savant, at the social media and like mm-hmm. a, a crazy marketer and it can also be um you know it also be horrible and dark in ways and like it takes all of that to be you know a person so that you know so i think that's i think in my work that's kind of what you know it's just making people think a little bit and rethink the way they see the world i wonder overall do you are you getting positive feedback or negative uh, it's kind of like <laughs> A little like we're part of the whole Takashi Six Nine like wave of like <laughs> out first, and then you lean in and what we've got in and and I, I'm watching it. I'm like the way I'm I've been checking like responses must be like how how Danny was like looking at his videos being responded to or his Instagram <laughs> like oh shit this person said that like what are our numbers all that shit. But I think I think what what's the response has been outrage. And then people watch it and there's approval and it seems like there has been a lot of praise and some of that praise comes with some reluctance. So like if you, if I look on tweets, it's like, yo, that was actually really good. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, and that's too. Like that's, when they say like bad things, like they're all like from what I was looking at, because you know I went crazy on Twitter just trying to see what people were saying. They were really saying bad things about Takashi, but then, Overall, they were saying like, this is a good piece of work. So I'm like, 
good. <laughs> this it's good feedback. Well, to his point, you know, everybody is a person and you start off being one way and then life molds and shapes you. And somehow you end up being maybe sometimes something you never thought you would be. You know, Vikram, to your point. And I think when you start humanizing people, it, it almost gives you like the the OK to be like, oh, wow, I understand. But do we really want to understand someone that's a villain? You know, because even that some people might feel a little like this guy's a bad guy. I don't want to I don't want to feel sorry for him, you know, so then you get that put that push and pull a little bit from people. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that we do live. I, I think that the danger of that whole canceling people is you got to have closure. Like this film may give the story of him, people who were following him closure. The people, the people who are outraged, I bet are people who have been following him and watching his music videos. The people who don't know him are not outraged. You know, the people who haven't been watching him and weren't on the Instagram live, but I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the people who were really outraged were actually following him, were the people giving those metrics to him. Um, I don't know for sure. But I think that, um, yeah, but I think that like part of it is that it's tricky to do something on a taboo subject. You know, it's a taboo right now. Um, but I do think like if we don't actually analyze what happened and try to understand why do we elevate this troll? Like, what is it? What's what is it about our culture? Like, then there'll just be another Takashi 69 that comes around. Like, you know, we do live in the age of a troll like we there are great artists who have been overtaken by their egos. You know, we've seen that um, all over more recently than ever. Right. And we also have a situation in social media, like where an internet troll got all this attention and then was elected president, you know? So we're afraid that like, <laughs> if we give it, I mean, right now metrics, attention, love or hate, they, they produce the same numbers. It's a view. It's a stream. So um, I think we're all sort of grappling with how we deal with this shit. Like one of the things that people go, or I think are appalled by like, is he making money off of this Hulu thing? That was a big, that's a big thing that comes up. Like don't support him. I don't know if the film is, is going to give him a second chance. I don't know if the film is going to do something negative to the world, but I do think it's an honest, you know, and, and a really hard and honest look on what this whole thing was, you know, without trying to sugarcoat anything in his life, you know? It's interesting you say that because I literally had those thoughts. First of all, I thought it was very interesting that you put yourself in the film, like first person. So like, why, why did you decide to tackle it that way? You know, I, I think also like when we're making it, I mean, that you, you can see there's like, a lot of those interviews might look like, oh shit, like, you know, that, that's, that seems like fully covered. We didn't know like who was gonna say anything. We didn't understand. I felt like it was important to show part of that journey in it. Um, it's also kind of something that's come up in my vocabulary. My first film I was in, Advice, I was a correspondent. So I always kind of just felt comfortable doing that. And I knew there was gonna be a lot of voiceover um, to fill in the gaps and make the story make sense. So at that point, I was just like, I think people should just get in a window into the process to just get a little bit of a take on that. Uh, and and yeah, I think that's that's what it is. I didn't really try to put too much of myself. I tried to be an objective person in it. Um, 
because you know people are going to judge that you know it's some funny there's some funny shit on uh on twitter where they're like i can't believe this white guy just made this documentary <laughs> you're not even white your name is Vikram gandhi right, right. <laughs> did your research whoever wrote that that comment <laughs> on who was supposed to tell this story it's like the indian guy just didn't fit into the equation of how to judge it you know it's like <laughs> You know, is he, what side is he on? I don't know. It's like, uh. <laughs> and, and the reason I asked that was because you brought up the money situation. I was just more so impressed that you can make a film without anyone even being involved. And I was wondering, how does the money work? Like, do you have to license his name? I mean, I, I, I'm just, I, is it because it's Hulu and it's considered a streaming platform? Is that different? Well, we, you know, you, we are making a documentary on on this person as a public figure story. So, um, you know that there's been films made on and all kinds of public figures. So, uh, there there is so much that was out on the internet, so much in the world, court documents, like leaked audio footage. So we went in knowing that there was a life that was lived online, and um, people mm. had. I, Public domain. So all this stuff was public domain and you pieced it together and then did interviews. Uh, well, to not get too deep into that stuff there as a journalist, you can write an article on somebody, you can make a video, um, you can tell a story and as long as you do it in the right way, um, you can do a lot. I didn't need permission from anyone to make this film. And similarly like there's three-part series there that's not that's not being done with uh six nine as far as i know um his managers denounced both the projects and as you can see online there's probably a thousand mini documentaries that are on youtube so, um yeah i mean we're just following the just general like documentary journalistic rules and we we just go about that you know in the right way we're not um, we, you know, a part of it is really just checking out to make sure that everything can be vetted, you know, but we're, we're not. And, and the truth is, uh, almost everything that's in the film, besides really like there's a lot of it that you can find on the Internet. It's just we had to confirm it. We had and to go all together and, and tie it up in the bow for us. And yeah, really, really. I mean, it's such a honestly, it's a very complicated story. I mean, there's so many people. There are people in, who went to prison who didn't who is who who didn't seem so deeply connected to 69 even like you know there was a lot of shit going down behind the scenes this is a the, the people who were taken down the FBI had had their eyes on them for a long time you just all of a sudden had an internet troll who's who's blasting their business all over Instagram i mean you know the window he opened this huge window into a group of people and so all I mean is it's a very public story that just nobody, I think that was so complicated to make sense of, you know, I found that even a lot of reporting, this was so complicated. All of us were like, who is that guy? Where did that, what about this? And tons of conspiracy theories, um, all kinds of shit that <laughs> you have to check out and make sure that talking to you are legit did you have one of those boards where it was like okay, here he is and this is this and that is that. Did you make one of those? <laughs> It's really funny you ask that because <laughs> interviews I've been doing have been in front of that board. <laughs> I actually just out because I was like, I don't want to be in it. But yeah, it, in the film, you actually see us pull out. I was going to say, was that the board that you showed like in the film? That was the actual board. 
that's the board that we were throwing all our ideas on and trying to figure out, wait, how is this connected? Where do they go? Like, um, try, just trying to do it. You know, we kind of just did it like we would probably see if, I don't know what it's like in the government, of course, but. That's exactly. We were just trying to piece together, like, how are these people all connected? Um, there are a lot of different members, a lot of things going on, stuff that just like could never make the movie. I mean, there's a whole thread that was about um, you know, another FBI informant that had to do with fentanyl cells. Um, we had people coming out, out of the woodwork going, I got this part of the story. And we, you know, some of those things can't be included because they just not enough time. And also they might be a distraction from what we're really looking at, which is like, who is this guy underneath it all? You answer so many of my questions in your answers. So. <laughs> I literally, I'm like, okay, he wasn't, he wasn't scared for his life. Check. Okay. He didn't leave anything off. Uh, you know, he did leave things out of the documentary that were important. Check. (laughs) So thank you. Sure. All right. Well, that's all I have. How about you guys? No, just again, just a great piece of work. It was Mm -hmm. honestly so well done. Yeah. I, I, I've said it a million times, but like, I'm really fascinated with your work. I'm, I'm, very pleased with it. If you feel like it or have some time, if you want to do a Murder, Inc. documentary, I would love to watch that. <laughs> please don't do that, sir. He's <laughs> obsessed with a Ashanti. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I would really like to see you kind of go along the lines of just dissecting these very misunderstood characters, because I think we're starting to see it a lot with Aaron Hernandez. I mean, just even watching that on Netflix, I was like, oh, wow. You know, like just really understanding the crazy behind people. And I I find it fascinating. So and, you know, you mentioned Donald Trump. Maybe one day you can dissect that crazy. So. That would be a prize. (laughs) That would be worth it, too. After I made Barry, I thought about making Donnie, and then like, <laughs> and I think right around that time, I had the feeling that people have about six nine. I was like, "Shit, do I want to do anything to humanize this guy?" Right. Uh, and so maybe there's young people or people who feel the same way about six nine that I did about Trump when that was happening. <laughs> too dangerous to get into. Right. Uh, possibly the reason I could do this was because, to be quite honest, it's very easy for me to turn off. Um, it would be very easy for me to turn off Six Nines Instagram, and I mean, I'm not throwing, I'm not putting his music on at a party. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge of it, you know. It's not going to fill my feed, so it never really felt as dangerous or as uh, kind of corrupt as maybe some people who, uh, who couldn't get rid of this kid off of their, off of all their social media, you know. Right. That's why we're getting that reaction, um, you know. Well, thank you so much. Make sure you check out the saga of Danny Hernandez, a.k.a. Takashi 69 on Hulu right now. It is a great thing to watch. I watched it on Saturday as well, so it's definitely something you can check out on the weekend. Thank you, Vikram Gandhi, uh, director, producer, journalist, investigator. Now we're finding out um, you are all of the above. This was incredible, and we thank you for your time. Thank Thank you. you so much. Thanks to all of you guys. Thank and you. then how can people find you? Cause you've been doing a lot. You were even involved in Batman versus Superman. So, you know, you've been out here doing some things. How can people find you? Um, you know, I really just speak through my films, but you know, I'm, I'm on social media and I'm on it, but, I, but really like oftentimes you make stuff, you gotta go silent for that time, so. <laughs> all right, so don't follow him and troll him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we should stop following people. Uh, <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Dude, thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. So that was great. I was really good. I fanboyed out a little bit. I was, I'm really fanboyed. You were going hard, I'm sir. I'm like, fanboyed. how many times are you going to say you love him? <laughs> I did, I, I'm just, I'm, I was really fascinated with that film. That's why I text you guys today, like, what time is everything going on? Because, like, I'm telling you, I watched it Saturday night at two o'clock in the morning. I was pausing to take notes or whatever. And Mina, you said it like right off the back, like you were like, Takashi's not in this. And it didn't click to me that Takashi wasn't in it until the very end. And I'm like, how the hell did I just watch this film, <laughs> learn all about this guy? He has nothing not to do. In it. That was amazing. It's brilliant filmmaking is really what it is. And uh, it's oh, interesting. Good. He literally used public domain, which is public domain is stuff that you can find on the internet and just use, you and know, interviews. Right. All that, all that audio from, from he, different things. He used a lot of Angie Martinez's interview. And, you know, he said a lot during that. And then just really getting the perspective from these other people. He really just put the whole story together. So, yeah. Um, it was he it was excellent. So I know some people might be a little reluctant, but, you know, you you never know what's going on under under people. You know, people wear these masks and we judge them and we think they're bad people. And, you know, we we don't we don't know that Takashi was 17 going on 18, having sex with a girl. He didn't know she was 13. There's a lesson there. Make sure you know who you're having sex with, you know, um, even if you're just 17 going on 18, like still, you know, and I started to think like when I was 13, I was dealing with like 17 year old guys. Yeah, yeah like we know what yeah. happens. Right. So <laughs> it's like I was dealing with 16, 15, 17 as a, as a girl. You're always dealing with older people. But like there's a lesson there. Like, look, this can happen to you if you're not yeah. doing your due diligence or, you know, look, you socialize or you you um you associate with certain kind of people and you get pulled into this lifestyle. And next thing you know, you might not even you, you might end up being an informant for the FBI because you're so deep into a lifestyle. I hope I'm not in that lifestyle. <laughs> and literally they said it started off with him just handing out red bandana. Uh, yeah. Like it wasn't even like, he was like, I'm gonna join a gang today. You know, but, it was like, I go to Garnett's point about just his, some of his genius. And, and he really was, and learning this, you know, just very smart. I think, again, he didn't think it would go that way, but he knew what he was doing with the red. And again, as his 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 kind of marketing mind was metamorphosing at that point. But I honestly was like, wow, I got to give him more credit than what I thought, just the way he thought and the way he was able to capitalize off of what he knew would be his own success. Right. So but it just shows that from the beginning, he was just the guy that could make people talk. He got your attention. I mean, even with the clothing line that he put out when he was a kid, mm-hmm. I knew nothing about his clothing line. And it, it, it would literally say, what What was a suck pussy or something? It was saying HIV, everything. Yeah, right. But it's that shock value thing of this was something in him already. Takashi wasn't, oh, I'm, you know, this this wasn't a thing that was born overnight. This was a guy that literally knew how to get people talking and how to get attention. I mean, even before he started making music, people were taking pictures with him in in the street because they wanted a picture with his clothing line. So I I enjoyed it, seriously. So um, we'll see what Vikram does next, because I have a feeling... (laughs) Uh, he's going to do more amazing things, you know? Mm-hmm.
Uh, so that wraps things up. Thank you guys for watching and listening. And um, please subscribe on YouTube. The YouTube thing is fairly new. So we're still trying to get people used to the visual aspect. We all look super cute. Yeah, go look at us. So, you know, I'm you can come. That's me the hair there. And if you're watching on YouTube, thank you. Yes. Yes, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you. If you're listening, thank you. I was absent last week and I had people texting me about y'all coming for me. So people be listening. <laughs> yes. Thank you for listening. And we do read comments. I was reading our YouTube comments and someone, Shayna, said that they really love you because you're always smiling and happy. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Shayna got a fan, a fan club. <laughs> Follow me on Instagram. It's like, just kidding. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Uh, subscribe. Uh, listen. Oh, we didn't even get to Thanksgiving. Have a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, try to avoid the if drama you know with the family. Is, if you know what pie is, eat some pie. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we gonna take you to Spanish country, Shayna. So no, you I'm see, just messing. I'm just messing. You will never see no pie in no Spanish country. I know that Nina, but how he didn't know what it was. I'm not saying that you have it at Thanksgiving. <laughs> but he was older. He worked in the bodega. You still see some kind of pie that came in that bodega? <laughs> it's a bodega. They not gonna have pie at the bodega. Look, I think it's Philly. They ain't had tasty cake pies. <laughs> Bye, girl. They was in best eye. <laughs> Thank you guys for watching. It's the 154th episode of the Mina's House podcast. I mean to say what? I'm Shayna B. Garnett Briscoe, a.k.a. Sherlock Homeboy. Dexter Stuckey. Dex, a.k.a. Dex the One. Out.